0: main street to wall street global business celebrity and former fortune 100 c-suite executive jeffrey hazlett takes you inside the good the bad and the ugly of businesses today saddle up it's time for all business with jeffrey hazlett a corporate america has made many strides but there's still plenty of work to get done when it comes to achieving parity especially in venture capitalist industry. In 2018, out of the $130 billion given out in capital funding, only, get this, 2.2% of that went to women-owned businesses. Gayatri Sikar is the founder of SheVC, a storytelling media platform focusing on women and diverse GPs, LPs, and fund managers. We're talking about why investing in women and minority-owned business is good business and good for business. Gayatri, welcome back to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
1: No, I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, it's always good to have you. And it's always great to talk to you. So in 2018, from the $130 billion in venture capital funding that was given, only 2.2% of it was given to female founders. Now, in 2019, good news, that number went up, but only to 2.8%, and that was an all-time high. In 2020, let me get this out, we saw a drop to 2.3%. Why does so little money go to women-owned businesses?
1: I mean, that's a question that we have been all asking and we were aware of that, but now we have data and various inflection points to look at it, why this is happening. I think one of the biggest issues is that there are not many women who are writing checks. That's kind of, it starts from there. And um, when you see there are not many women who are running funds, there are not many women who are decision makers. And that's when you find that it is much more difficult to bring capital allocation to woman-run businesses. If you're carrying your idea about certain woman-related products um, in a room group of men, they don't understand it, and that's why there has always been difficulty in similar products that have been extremely successful. That went well for you know men's side of the business, but when it comes to the woman's product, it's not doing great, or it is having difficulty in raising money. I mean, I started CVC because, you know, I have been in the venture capital community for a very long time. Former Goldman, former Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. I used to manage U.S. Treasury's assets for U.S. military and Navy. And um, when I was starting my own fund before, I was wondering how other women managing their kids, managing their family, how they were doing that. And that's from that usual pain point, I wanted to ask questions to other, my VC friends and LPs, like, why are you not funding more women VCs so that it can have a strong down seed and, you know, seeding impact specifically for women entrepreneurs.
0: So I'm going to get personal here for a second. My daughter is starting up a brand new company. You happen to know who she is. Yeah, is her. amazing. You've seen her pitch, you know, uh, and she tells me everything. She does. She uh, that's one of the good relationships we she and I talk very off the record and off the cuff and just totally transparent. I am amazed uh, when she pitches and I'm amazed when she talks to fund managers who are not women, the kinds of crap that they say to her. Do you still see this going on? I mean, and I'm talking about very sexual, very innuendos or just stupid shit, meaning they just, you know, kind of push her off because she's a woman or a young woman. It, it, do you still see a lot of this?
1: I mean, I cannot agree more on this. Everybody has their different personal experiences, but it all comes down to the fact that many of the all this old finances or even the venture capital money, they are basically a broke club and they're guarded by mail. And they, and we want more women to be a part of this venture capital, private equity community so that we can bring much more opportunity for amazing, talented women like Lindsay. I think there is a big issue when it comes to um, the private, especially the private asset class. And recently, I'm a part of women in VC community. And we have done a, uh, they have actually done a report that only 5.6% of US VC firms are woman-led. Think about uh, that, and out of out of like, it doesn't
0: like, make sense. It it really truly doesn't make sense. When you, I mean, just even you would think at least be in double digits, right?
1: No, no. And um and here's the thing. Um, if you if you look at last year and before, seventy three percent woman led firms were founded in the last five years. So there is definitely a progress. More women are becoming entrepreneurs. More women and starting their businesses. But the problem is that. Uh, If you look at the category of how many women are running the farms, how many women are decision makers, we really fall short. And out of that, U.S. firms are basically 4.9%. So when it comes to the partners, I'm not even talking about principal, analyst, and all these things, because you will always find women as receptionists. I've heard from my friends when they're going and pitching um, to their LPs or to their investors, and these are women who have run amazing businesses, they're starting their own funds, Um, the LPs are not taking them seriously. They're thinking, oh, you must be an assistant to the partner. And they're like, no, I'm the boss. (laughs) This is my fund. So, I I mean, there is like a shift in the, I mean, not just a change in the mindset, but there's a, there's a big paradigm shift that is required to understand that we need to stop judging women based on their performances because men has been judged by their uh, potential. And this is Mm -hmm. not my, um, you know, analysis. This is the analysis that was done by Morgan and Stanley. And they say that, There's a multi trillion dollar blind spot that we see there, because if we fund women and other ethnic groups, we are actually leaving a lot of money on the table.
0: So are you telling me that that the way in which funds are looking at women, let's just take women only and their focus on they say, hey, show me what you've done first as as opposed to men. Oh, there's the market potential. So it's not it's it's a totally double standard. All right. And that's being done right now.
1: Yes, that's been still done right now. Morgan Stanley took the report, I think, around 2019. Um, and this is the latest report that says that. That's why there's a big multi-trillion dollar blind spot. And I think we need to push. And not, as I said, like, it's it's a big paradigm shift. But also, we need to stop judging that what's going to happen to your fund or what's going to happen to your business if you have a kid, you know, or or a, a single yeah. woman who's going to get married. So you are not asking those questions uh, to a man who's also going to have a baby or is also going to get married. And uh, we might think, oh, this is such sexist questions, but these are the questions that are also asked by woman investors to other woman uh, entrepreneurs or other woman VCs on oh. the LP side. So I feel like this is, it's, it's, but okay. still not
0: cool. I mean, still not, co- I mean, no. it's not cool. I mean, today I talked to Kara Golden, the CEO of Hint. I mean, you talk about badass. I mean, she, she, was was stocking shelves, and then went and had a baby in the same day. I mean, that's badass. I mean, I wouldn't want to ask her about her experience. I just talk about her potential, you know, without question. C-Suite Radio. Let me ask you another question, because I think as bad as all that is, all right, if we think those numbers are bad, we think what we're seeing there, only 1% has been invested in black lead companies. To me, this is like a no brainer. This isn't good business. So why does this, I'm going to say it like this. Why does this shit keep
1: happening? So, um, so again, I had a, a discussion about this with Arlen Hamilton. She's very well known in the black community, not just in black community, but in the venture capital community. She's like, whenever I am going and pitching, they're saying, hey, if you come to this, this is your goalpost. If you can achieve that, you can make it. And then I'm going again, I say, hey, I have achieved that. The goalposts keep shifting. And this is a huge problem when it comes to, um, you know, understanding the gender diversity and bringing much more gender parity. But at the same time, uh, we have found statistically that it is much more difficult for a black woman to raise money compared to a black man. So whenever mm-hmm. there is, and, and this is another thing I just want to bring in effect that in the finance industry The discussion is always about, oh, which school? Did you go to Harvard, MIT, Stanford? or uh, And it is very difficult if you're coming from an underserved community to go to a good school. It takes a lot of money. So there's a systemic challenge that many folks have to go through. Sometimes many of the Black families, they are sending their kids for the first time in college. So it's not easy. And uh, I mean, we, I think... We uh there are a lot of men and there are a lot of women, they understand these challenges, and I think that's where we are talking right now. I don't think that this was a point of discussion um 20, 30 years ago also. But I think um that is where we think that we can do better if we can show that these are the amazing women who have been working nonstop, being whether they're orphaned at birth or being a single mother, and they're still pushing the barriers. It's 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 just that you have to. Believe in them, you have to take a chance on them. Once you take a chance, they can prove themselves. And I think investing based on potential is the number one criteria that needs to happen, especially in the emerging manager capacity, especially in the emerging entrepreneurs' capacity. You cannot judge, oh, you're a first time founder. Have you built a company before, or you are a single founder? What's gonna to happen to you if you get married or you have a baby? Uh, I think those are kind of questions are actually pushing us backward. We are not enabling the society. We are leaving money on the table and not, we are not looking forward when we are asking those questions.
0: Yeah. When I see most women who are starting businesses, it isn't about taking a chance on it's a calculated, it's a calculated bet, which is a good bet because most women I've seen that are running businesses are doing a lot better than most yeah. men at that level without question. Let me ask you, what are the three things that business leaders can do to create a, a better or more level playing field and more parity and diversity?
1: Wow. That's a very loaded question. And I just want to say one thing, your last statement, it is true. Statistically, it has been proven that women who are running the similar business as male, they are actually outperforming. And that's not just businesses, that's in venture funds, that is in other different asset classes, even in finances also. So coming back to what can we do better, COVID-19 has actually made the situation worse. Now, the gender parity, which was almost like 99.8 years, um, it will take to bring the parity. Now it's hundred 20 plus years. So people are investing in others where they thought, oh, they look like me. They are from similar, we are from similar backgrounds. I'm going to invest in you. I think the number one thing is that we need to challenge ourselves and be mentors. I think that's very, very important. Spend our time and energy and see how we can groom other women or other people from different ethnicity backgrounds and bring them on the similar level or bring some parity. That's, that's number one thing. And I think people don't do a good job in mentorship. I have always seen that me, uh, white guys, they want to mentor another white guy, that's not helping. Um, bring much more uh, diversity in your, you know, in your mentorship table. Uh, number two is that, um, which I said before, take a chance, understand the potential, discuss that see how you can work together with many women. And um, it's 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 also uh, uh, a situation where I think people have to bring themselves out of their comfort zone, you know, and take, uh, uh, basically they're not just taking a chance on a female entrepreneur or a diverse entrepreneur, they're taking a chance on themselves that they're challenging themselves and asking that question. If I put a dollar on this founder, she's going to give me back. That means whether I'm going to work with her and work with that challenge and number three, I think, is that it's, it's a lot of policies that are, needs to be changed. And I think these are public policies, private policies, but this is from the institutional scale that bring much many more women um, on the table, you know, bring them on the table, have the discussion. And one of my partner in my firm said this thing that, you know, diversity is something it's it's you can see okay there are diverse people in the room we are having that conversation but inclusivity or inclusiveness this is something you cannot you cannot put a check mark it's the feeling it's how people make you feel that that's the thing it's like um you know diversity is um, you know in getting invited to the party and inclusivity is asking people to dance so i think there are a lot of uh, policy shift that needs to happen. And I hope we are, we are getting there because that's why we are having this conversation.
0: Absolutely. I would add a fourth point if I can, because you just reminded me of something, because many times you'll see a business leader, let's, let's take a conference or program or things that we do. Sometimes people will say, well, we have to make sure they're qualified first, right? Well, if you don't, if you don't think you have qualified people, then you're not casting a wide enough net you gotta go to where the people are. And if you can't find people who are qualified, and trust me, there are qualified Blacks, Asians, women, people who have disabilities, all kinds of different things. You just have to look better. Because if they're not around your immediate network, You need to cast, you need to cast a little wider, my friends. So that's, that's one of the piece of advice I have, you know, you're at the C-suite network, you know, we're doing over 51% of the people that are on our programs are people of color, women. And the reason for that is we're making a really good effort to make that happen. And at first, you know, it was, we would say, Oh my gosh, really tough. Well, no, it's not. We just didn't know the right people. So we had to go out and ask the right people and get to know that. All right.
1: Yeah. Just taking yourself out of the comfort zone and ask those questions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and by the way, it is sometimes difficult to ask those questions, but that's OK. No one's going to die. OK, <laughs> so ask yourself the questions that no one I don't think anyone wakes up every morning and says, I can't wait to be stupid. What we want to do is do better at what we do. So it's OK to be uncomfortable at it. It's OK to do that. It's allow yourself that. C-Suite Radio. All right. We all knew that there was this huge gender gap. But do you think the pandemic made investors more nervous and more wary to risk?
1: That's true. Uh, Pandemic actually made it worse because now uh, we are actually, um, again, going back to the same thing that, okay. Um, are we going to invest in that person? We don't know because we're meeting through Zoom, right? We're not meeting in person. So if I went to Harvard, I want to go and invest in all the folks that went to Harvard that looks like me, that talks like me, and then I'm not casting a wider net. Um, And um, another thing that I want to bring into this, diversity has always been a part of a philanthropy or an extension of philanthropy. And that's a big problem. This is a mainstream issue. You cannot just put it as a part of a philanthropy or charity yeah. that can fix it. This has to be fixed through capital allocation. That's the only way. You cannot fix it through a while, throw some money at the charity and that can be done. And this was the biggest problem when... COVID-19 situation happened. What happened is that a um, lot of the diversity programs they got canceled because they did not have enough money, because this is always a part of like a focus group, a focus thing, and which is like, oh, we have extra money where we can get that. This is a part of the diversity group. And there is another problem that we VCs, investors face is that whenever we are trying to raise money if you are a woman so the idea is like oh you're a woman we just go and talk to our diversity team because that's where you belong and the check sizes over there are always small and that's the biggest problem because that means that you're anyway giving lesser money to women and at the end of the day what is happening we are ending up giving lesser money to other women entrepreneurs. And I think uh, that's kind of a systemic problem that exists. And I'm hoping with the Black Lives Matter movement, things have changed. But again, we don't want people to die to make others believe that, okay, there's a change that needs to happen. This is the biggest problem in the society. And I think when I started SheBC Podcast, this was much before Black Lives Matter movement, much before COVID-19. I was told by someone that, uh, very well-known personality um, in the investment world, like if you invite only women, you may not, or diverse uh, managers, you may not get enough uh, VCs to come on your um, you know media platform. So I said, you know what? I'm going to invite them again. So, and till now we have featured $100 billion combined capital from Koch Brothers Group to Forbes Family Trust. And this is a thing, this is a community where we are building, we are thinking about investing. And I think taking, um, understanding the potential that where you think a woman is bringing it to the table, especially on the table and asking those questions like, how can you do better? And how can I be helpful? And pushing yourself further out of the comfort zone. And I know Through Zoom, it is always difficult to do background checks and others, but there's always, you can pick up a call, do reference checks. So it is is much more important for people to, you know, uh, as you said, like go out of their comfort zone and make that decision and make people feel more inclusive.
0: So during and by the way, it has to be more than just a checkbox. Uh, Well, I've hired women or I've hired blacks or I've hired Asians. We can't do that. okay? we just can't. You can't. It's got to be a lot more. You got to it's got to be part of your DNA, folks. I mean, that's to do that. You got to be inclusive. You got to look like you got to look like the people you serve. And by the way, just so you know. More than half of them are women. Let's just keep that in mind. All right. During the pandemic, you know, women dropped out of the workforce at a lot higher rates. I mean, that was amazing. It was just I, I was blown away by that. So it's it opened the door for other issues. Is there gonna be some kind of solution to break the cycle of debt at any given point?
1: Yeah. I'm actually today I was at a private credit um, debt conference and we have been discussing about this. I mean, um, if you have children and I have a two and a half year old, obviously during pandemic, you cannot have a nanny, you cannot have help. You're taking care of yourself. Fortunately, I got my parents because I'm the single child. So I can, you know, literally blackmail my parents, come and live <laughs> with me, take care of my child, be the nanny or everything in my household because I'm busy working, but everybody doesn't have that opportunity. So, um, um, I think it has made much more difficult where a woman has picked up that shovel and said that, okay, you know, I will take care of that part of the household. I'm going to take care of that, which was previously taken by daycare center. I have heard horror stories where friends of mine have put their kids in a room and say, hey, I have to take this investor call. I have to make this LP meetings. And, um, you know, you made a statement before this question, and I love that you said that You know, it should not be a checkbox. And this is where the investors needs to do a better job because we always think, oh, okay, um, how to do better job in diversity. Let's invest in a black woman. Let's invest in a woman. Let's invest in a diverse man. um, And we have done our job. But I think we need to do much more better where we can tie our performance with diversity, equity, inclusion and ESG. I mean, that's what we are doing in our firm. And I'm so glad that in my firm, some of my partners are BlackRock's former chief investment officer, senior directors are Oppenheimer. Mm. These are great people and famous names in Wall Street, Stephen Quinn's former CEO, but they took a bet on me. Someone like me, who is a 39 years old, and these are men who are in their early 60s, they're well-known Wall Street icons. But I think that is where we need to go. And I think there's a shift that is definitely coming. I'm seeing much more um, men, they're open to this. I mean, recently I had a, a chat with one of the LPs and they are a $100 billion uh, investment firm. And they said, you know, I want to hire more women in my team. And I put it on LinkedIn and out of 50 um, actually 49, apply, 49, whoever applied are all men. So I was like, also mm. woman has to do a better job not to have an imposter syndrome because that's where we suffered the most. You know, we need to like, no, we can do this job. We are credible enough. We have that validity or we, we, ha- we are enough qualified to be in that position. We should not doubt them because there are enough men and women out there doubting us.
0: Yeah. And by the way, that story about your parents and you had to call them and and blackmail. I don't think that was the case. If I know most grandparents that you had them at. Can you? Yes. OK, right away. Yes. That's what the, it was more like that, I think. So, hey, uh, one last question before we go out to the rest of the audience, ask for questions because uh, I know there's lots of them that are coming in. What are investors looking for right now? Do you think that it's a more human-centered kind of business model that'll make them notice, or or, or is it something else?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think COVID-19 has definitely shifted our perspective. I think future of work and now the work-life balance is completely different. Work-life diffusion has happened. We, it feels like we are literally living at our workplace because now everybody can get us all the time. It's like, yeah, I'm not traveling. I cannot give that excuse. I think the future of work um, is something that many of us are looking into it. Um, obviously, health tech businesses, it's it's booming right now because telemedicine and other opportunities. But at the same time, I feel that there's a new economy that is evolving that post COVID-19, how people can work in a much more efficient way and bring out opportunities. And I think digital transformation that has happened mostly, you know, through zoom or through social media, it's going to take place at different places. I come from sports. So for me, it's like not going to a sports event. I cannot even think of it. Last Mm -hmm. event I attended was at NBA all-star in 2020 and everything shut down. I think for us, it's like hugely important for us to digitize, that experience. And I think we will see a lot of digital transformation coming in a lot of legacy um, verticals and sectors, which has remained traditional for so long, but I think there are opportunities coming. And VCs at the end of the day, we are looking a business that can grow fast, disrupt the market, but at the same time, um, can bring good and bring people together.
0: Let me squeeze in one last question, because earlier today I said I spoke to the CEO of Hint Water and her journey to the top wasn't without a few bumps, without question. And you work in an industry that is extremely male dominated. We kind of talked about that. How do you empower aspiring entrepreneurs to take a chance and break barriers, not just with gender, but any other ism that's out there? You know, entrepreneurship doesn't have a shelf life. So what encouragement would you give?
1: Yeah, I, I think nowadays, um, you know, a 60-year-old can be an entrepreneur. Even Nowadays, even 10 year old are also starting their own company. And I think um, there's a lot of open source materials that are available right now. I will strongly encourage people, uh, because I had been an entrepreneur, I started my own consulting company because I had my first client U.S. Treasury and I had literally no idea how to start a business. I had no idea what is S-Corp, C-Corp, but I was able to go through that journey all by myself. I did not have any other partners also. Um, my suggestion to people will be um, is asking for feedback, ask for mentorship um, and study yourself. Uh, find what's your weakness, try understand what's your strength. And I think people don't do uh, enough of a job in understanding the market. You know what Einstein said that uh, first learn the rules of the game and then play mm-hmm. better than anybody else. And I love that because I think we fall short because we don't know the rules of the game. And we get into the game and then people are playing better than everybody. Take time in understanding and learning. It's almost preparing for an exam. You know, you want to prepare for an exam before you go out there, fundraise, talk to an investor. A lot of time, a lot of people ask me for money. Like I have literally no idea about healthcare and they ask me for money. So they haven't done enough research about who I am and what do I invest in. And I think that's where entrepreneurs need to do a better job. But also at the same time, surround yourself with great people. Mental health is very important because when you're an entrepreneur, you feel like, you know I see everybody is raising money in TechCrunch, this company is becoming an unicorn, this person is raising one hundred million dollars. Am I the only one who is not able to do it? So surround yourself with amazing entrepreneurs who have actually traveled that path, ask those questions. And anytime an investor tell you that, you know, I don't think I'm going to invest in you, ask for feedback. But why do you think you don't want to invest in me and how can I do a better job next time?
0: All right. Well, I tell you what, I love that statement about learn the rules, know the rules, know the game. That's so important. I I can remember back in 1978, I was uh, interning in the United States Senate with Jim Abarest, former senator uh, from South Dakota. He was the first Arab American ever elected to the United States Senate. And he knew the rules so well, parliamentary procedure in the United States Senate, he could tie bills up for weeks. And I remember The Senate Majority Leader walking over to him and said, Jimmy, do you have any problem with my bill? This was the Majority Leader of the United States Senate, Robert Byrd from West Virginia, the most powerful man in government at the time, other than the president. And he was asking a small junior senator from a rural state if he was okay because he knew the rules and he could do certain things. That's a great piece of advice. Patrick. good to see you again. Thank you so much for being a part of all business.